Growth in mixed martial arts is always spectacular to watch. Seeing fighters who specialize in one area of the fight branching out and having success somewhere else will never not be exciting to watch. A career grappler's striking skills developing to the point of being a legit KO threat or a former boxer pulling off a high level submission defies the unpredictability and evolution of MMA that we as fans love. As we outlined in a previous video, this doesn't always go according to plan, but I'm in a good mood today, so we are going to look at that flip side of the coin and be surprisingly positive for a change. I'm Tom from MMA On Point, and here are 10 fighters who succeeded in switching styles. Number 10, Brock Lesnar versus Shane Carwin. When Brock Lesnar sat on the sidelines following the dual diagnosis of mononucleosis and diverticulitis, the questions surrounding the heavyweight champion were about whether or not his career would continue, and if so, what physical condition would he be in? There was virtually no thought given to any growth as all of his efforts were thought to be focused on getting his body healthy enough to compete. So when he was scheduled to return against interim champion Shane Carwin, who looked like a monster at UFC 116, more attention was paid to the crushing power, equally imposing stature and collegiate wrestling title as the two seemed almost perfectly evenly matched. When the 530 collective pounds of muscle stood in front of each other, we were treated to one of the better heavyweight title fights in UFC history. We expected either a quick Carwin KO or strength-fueled exchange of NCAA championship caliber wrestling. But what we actually got was Lesnar surviving a punishing, punishing onslaught in the first round as Carwin unloaded heavy bombs for the better part of the opening round. For the first time, Carwin saw the second round and was clearly absolutely spent. Too tired to stop the takedown, Lesnar took him to the floor and easily passed half guard to set up the fight ending arm triangle choke and the only submission win of his career. Unless of course you count Minso Kim tapping out in his first fight. Number 9, Henry Cejudo versus Wilson Hayes. Hopes were super high for Henry Cejudo when he first made his way to mixed martial arts. The Olympic gold medalist had the wrestling skills and was hard at work to fill in the gaps in his game. After losing his undefeated record to Demetrius Johnson at UFC 197 and dropping a narrow decision to Joseph Benavitez in his next outing, many were wondering if the expectations were just too high. So with all of his UFC wins coming by decision and being turned back by the top two men in the division, it was time to go back to the drawing board. And against Wilson Hayes at UFC 215, Cejudo looked like a new man, and immediately taking what appeared to be a karate stance, Cejudo quickly let it be known that his striking was absolutely different this time. Mastering the distance with body kicks and well-timed body punches, Cejudo was clearly, clearly in charge. So in desperation, Hayes started the second round with much more aggression. Unfortunately for the Brazilian contender though, it only provided the perfect counter opportunity and ended the fight giving Cejudo his first finish and bonus check in the UFC. Number 8, Big Nog versus Brendan Sharp. When Big Nog was booked to face Brendan Sharp at UFC 134, there was a lot of mixed feelings. With the Octagon setting up shop in Rio de Janeiro, it would be a chance for the Brazilian legend to finally fight in front of his countrymen. But with him clearly nearing the end of his war-filled career and returning from major surgeries, reservations about his health were warranted. In addition, Sharp was quickly storming up the rankings of the heavyweight division 
As fresh off a bonus winning knockout against Krokop, this felt like a stepping stone moment for the Tough 10 finalist. And even though Minotauro was known to have some decent boxing skills to complement his just legendary submission game, no one even considered the possibility of a finish for him on the feet. If the Brazilian fans were lucky, maybe they'd see a well executed arm lock finish, but the minus 333 favourite was expected to earn another signature win on his way to title contention. But instead, Big Dog would stand his ground with pressure boxing, cutting off the cage and working off his jab. And just three minutes into the first round, a powerful, powerful combination would shut off the lights for Sharp and send the HSBC arena into absolute hysteria. This place is going bananas. Everyone's going nuts. What a win for Nogueira. Number seven, Fabricio Verdum versus Mark Hunt. When they competed in the Pride Ring, Fabricio Verdum and Mark Hunt were really polar opposites. Besides the obvious physical differences between the two, their path towards MMA really couldn't have been more different. After impressing a bouncer by knocking out a few unlucky souls in a bar fight, Hunt was invited to train at Muay Thai gym and began kickboxing career that peaked with his 2001 K1 Grand Prix win. Vadum, on the other hand, was choked out in a street fight and began training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a result, collecting multiple international championships before becoming Crow Cop's grappling coach. While both had greatly evolved in between their pride days and UFC 180, where the two were pitted against one another for the interim UFC heavyweight title, it seemed widely accepted that Vadum's best path to victory was using his legendary ground skills against the six-time submission Hunt. And Vadum had shown a much more sophisticated striking arsenal against Roy Nelson, Mike Russo and Travis Brown, but he had yet to prove he could match a pure kickboxer with big power like Mark Hunt. And the concerns were well founded as Hunt dropped Vadum twice before things dramatically changed. Just before the halfway point of the second round, the Brazilian landed a perfectly timed flying knee, dropping Hunt and leaving him vulnerable to fight ending ground and pound follow-up strikes. It was actually a hell of a fight. Number six, Randy Couture versus Chuck Liddell. When Randy Couture dropped the heavyweight title to Josh Barnett and lost his next bout to Rico Rodriguez, many believed we were seeing the beginning of the end for the natural. Dangerously close to 40 years old with two consecutive finishes, it didn't look like Couture could relive that championship glory. But with Tito Ortiz on the sidelines, an opportunity to chase supremacy in a second weight class came around. But in order to capture the interim light heavyweight title, he'd have to stand in front of surging knockout artist and super popular Chuck Liddell. It would have made sense for the Greco-Roman wrestling specialist to lean on that attribute, but no matter what the strategy was, it certainly could not evolve standing in striking range. The combination of age, mileage and Liddell's power would, would just spell absolute disaster for the former two-time champ, but the fight itself would play out much differently. A frustrated Liddell was completely neutralized in the first round after repeated takedowns and time spent stuck in the clinch. And so Couture, he switched styles mid-fight and invited the hand exchanges. Surprisingly, he controlled the pace and backed down Liddell using more technical boxing. The straight punches were the perfect answer to Liddell's big looping blows and the combination just proved too much. So Couture TKO'd Liddell after controlling almost every aspect of the fight. It was an incredible performance in the legendary career of Randy Couture. Number five, Corey Anderson versus Johnny Walker. When Johnny 
Johnny Walker repeatedly dropped jaws following his stint on the Contender series, he was already being penciled in to the title picture in the Contender thin light heavyweight division. And his stunning finish over Misha Serkinov at UFC 235 all but sealed the deal. It was just a matter of time before he'd be in front of John Jones with the chance to win gold. And so if he could just avoid injuring himself in celebration against Corey Anderson at UFC 244, it would have been the fight to make. Of course, Anderson certainly presented a new challenge as Walker had yet to deal with such a talented wrestler. Also, Anderson wasn't exactly on the best terms with UFC brass and was vocal about his displeasure with pay and ranking, while Dana White was critical of his lack of finishes and reliance on minimizing risk. Not one person clapped for him at the weigh-ins, right? And so facing the new dynamic athlete with terrifying power almost actually seemed like a punishment. But Anderson took it all in his stride, promising to derail the hype train of Walker. And in what came across as a statement of defiance against Dana, Anderson met fire with fire and quickly battered the prospect, knocking him out with punches, yelling pleasantries at matchmaker Mick Maynard, and leaving Madison Square Garden absolutely speechless. Number four, Kevin Randleman versus Krokop. On paper, the matchup between Kevin Randleman and Mirko Krokop is fairly simple. The NCAA wrestling champion with insane strength versus the K1 kickboxer with devastating knockout ability was as close to the style versus style theme of UFC 1 as possible. And in the opening round of the 2004 Pride Heavyweight Grand Prix, the throwback pairing would come to fruition. As guest commentator and former Krokop victim Heath Herring summed up just before the opening bell. Kevin has to take him down, has to take him down quickly uh, and finish him off from there. And that's exactly how things started out, pushing the kickboxer into the ropes as he failed on a takedown attempt. When the ref broke up their stalemate and Randleman quickly failed on, you know, another shot, it seemed like the clock was ticking for the legendary left kick to claim another soul. Instead, Randleman would leap in with a left hook, dropping Krokop. The monster then used his vicious ground and pound to seal the deal and advance in the Grand Prix in the most unlikely way possible. Ironically, Krokop would break from his habits to submit Randleman in their rematch later in the year. Number three, Joe Lozon versus Jens Pulver. Jens Pulver left the UFC as the only lightweight champion in the promotion's history and two defenses to solidify his title reign before a contract dispute prompted him to look outside of the octagon for opportunities. Over four years after defeating BJ Penn to retain the belt, he'd return and try to re-establish his place in the UFC's hierarchy. His first assignment was in the pay-per-view opener for UFC 63, which ironically featured Penn in the main event. He'd be paired with Joe Lozon, a newcomer from the New England regional circuit. 10 out of his 13 wins came by submission, so it was clear that the part-time network administrator was to be feared on the ground. And considering at the point Pulver had amassed 13 strike stoppages in his career and was one of the original sprawl and brawl fighters, this this should have been a walk in the park for the returning champion. Instead, the debuting Lozon completely defied expectations. A win period would have been shocking as he had fought nowhere, nowhere near the same level of this competition, but a submission seemed at least plausible, but Lozon would spoil Little Evil's homecoming by landing a picture-perfect left hook to the chin, putting him out cold. And overcoming a 7-1 underdog status, Lozon joined the cast of the Ultimate Fighter 5, coach by BJ Penn opposite Pulver. I mean, 
That's pretty awkward, right? Number two, Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. When Robbie Lawler was booked for UFC 47 against Nick Diaz, not much was known about the Stockton native who would end up becoming a cult hero in the sport. We obviously knew about his skills on the ground as one of the standout fighters from Caesar Gracie's camp. And in his UFC debut, Diaz showcased his proudness by wearing down Jeremy Jackson, setting up a late armbar. But Lawler, Lawler was the heir apparent to welterweight champion and training partner Matt Hughes, who the promotion was fully, fully backing. And considering the hours spent sparring with high-level wrestlers, Lawler could have avoided Diaz's most notable advantage and being the far more powerful and proven striker, it looked like the makings of another highlight reel moment to put more steam behind the Lawler hype train. So when the bell rang, Diaz seemed determined to show off the work he'd been putting in to improve his stand-up game. And immediately it showed, complete with the taunting that would come to define him later on, Diaz stalked Lawler, staying in his face and throwing with high, high volume. Caught off guard and forced to fight on the back foot, Diaz improbably caught Lawler with a lead hook that sent him to the floor and the L column. Of course, a still rocked Lawler protested the stoppage to Steve Mazzagati, but he was clearly done. And number one, Matt Serra versus GSP. When Matt Serra knocked out George St. Pierre at UFC 69, it would hold up as one of, if not the greatest upset of all time. But it wasn't only because the seemingly unstoppable welterweight champion was stopped, and it wasn't just because, you know, Serra earned his shot at the throne following the comeback season of The Ultimate Fighter. It was how he got it done. As the first American to earn the honor, the Henzo Gracie black belt was right known as a jiu-jitsu threat. He had no knockout victories on his resume and since joining the UFC roster had only finished one of five official wins. Although Saint-Pierre at the time had a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu also under Henzo Gracie, in the unlikely event of a Serra win it just it absolutely had to come from some sort of wild submission in a scramble. And so realizing the uphill battle ahead of him, Serra and his team decided to adjust from his typical strategy and recognizing GSP's success with wrestlers the focus would be engaging him in a firefight instead of trying to force a jiu-jitsu battle. So upping the amount of boxing in his camp and catching the champion off guard would be the key to victory. And the shift would pay off. He caught GSP with strikes and snatched the belt in the process. It's a story we love here at MMA on point, but God damn it, is it a good one. On three, one, two... Thanks so much to Anthony Walker for writing this list. You can go follow him at Ant Walker MMA. And thanks so much to Max Randall for editing it. You can follow him at Max underscore Randall. Also, thanks so much to the man Ben Rosette, composer of the intro music. Please go check out his music by clicking the link in the description below and catch the latest updates on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching that video. Please do like and subscribe. We upload three jaw-droppingly juicy MMA videos a week to get your teeth into and let us know your thoughts in the comments. Make sure to follow us at On Point MMA and Tom A. Ransom on Twitter and you make sure you have a great day.